Right, well, we're there in 2 Samuel chapter number 6. If you remember last week, last week we dealt with the first 13 uh, verses of this chapter. And tonight we're going to just pick up right where we left off in verse number 14. But I just want to make a couple of statements from, from the story from last week. Remember, they were bringing the ark uh, back uh, into, the, into the tabernacle that David had built. And uh, God had told them in, in, the old, in, in the Mosaic law, God had told them that they had to carry the ark a certain way and no one was allowed to touch it or they would die. And then Uzzah here, uh, who had his heart in the right place, he, didn't, he wasn't trying to do anything wrong, but when they were bringing the ark because they were transporting it incorrectly, and we talked all about that last week, it began to shake and he thought it was going to fall. He put his hand up to touch it. And the Bible says that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And, you know, today we have a whole country full of Christians who say, God is love and God never gets angry. But God got angry there. You know, I had somebody uh, leave a message for me and said, you know, God would never want anybody killed. Well, God wanted Uzzah killed because his anger was kindled against him. And the Bible says he smote him right there. And what's interesting, and I didn't talk about this last week, uh, but remember they, they, they send the ark to the house of a man there uh, by the name of Obed-Edom. And the Bible tells us that while the ark, in fact, just look at it real quickly. Look at verse number 11. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And here's what you need to understand about the, because the ark represents the presence of God. It represents God. And here's what's interesting. When they were doing wrong in regards to what God had asked them to do, the ark was a bad thing. I mean, they touched the ark and a man died. When the Philistines had the ark, they were getting, you know, emeralds and their secret parts, the Bible says. They were getting rats and they were getting this and they were getting that. It was a bad thing. But when the ark is at the house of Obed-Edom and everything's being done in the way that God likes it, it's a blessing to him. And here's what you need to understand. There are two parts to God. And there are two parts to the Word of God, you know, and, and, you know, and, and, and by the way, let me say this, there are two parts to preaching. People, sometimes they get upset and they say, you know, our pastor's always preaching about this and always, you know, making me upset about whatever. You know, you only get upset if you're on the wrong side of the preaching. You know, when I preach about, hey, you need to get out soul winning, guess what? Everyone who's out soul winning, they love that. You know, if I preach about read your Bible, everyone who's reading their Bible, they're fine with that. If I preach about, you know, this or that, the only people that have an issue with it are the people that aren't doing it. And you got to understand with God, there's this, you know, when you're on the right side of God, it's good. And when you're on the wrong side of God, it's not good. And, and that's, you know, it doesn't matter if you're saved or unsaved. You better just learn to live by the laws of God and what God has called you to do. Anyway, I wanted to just throw that in kind of by way of introduction. But I want you to look down at verse number 14. It's a couple of thoughts that I didn't cover last week. In verse 14, the Bible says this. So they remember we saw last week they got it right. They figured out how they were supposed to transport the ark. They begin to bring it. And in verse number 14, the Bible says, And David danced before the Lord with all his might. Now, nowhere in the Bible are we told that David was doing anything wrong. In fact, I think the Bible shows us here that what David was doing was right. It was fine for him to dance before the Lord. Now, listen to me. He wasn't at a nightclub, all right? He wasn't at a rave, okay? The, the dancing that our society considers dancing, not the same dancing that we have here. Here you have one man dancing by himself, you know, not with a woman or not with somebody of the opposite sex, and he's dancing before the Lord. Notice, and he, he's getting down. I mean, it says, with all his might. 
I mean, he's dancing as hard as he can dance, you know, and I don't really know what that means, but whatever he was doing, it was, it was there. And David was girded with the linen ephod, look at verse 15. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with sound of a trumpet. They're excited, you know, they're shouting, they're saying, amen, praise the Lord. They're bringing the ark and David's dancing, he's, you know, doing whatever he's doing, he's doing his thing. Look at verse 16, and as the ark of the Lord came into the city, of David, and here's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to, uh, I want to give you four lessons because Michal, who's David's first wife, uh, and David end up having this argument. We're going to get four lessons from David and Michal's argument tonight. And here's lesson number one. Notice what it says. Michal, Saul's daughter, notice what it says, looked through a window and saw King David leaping upon, leaping and dancing before the Lord. And notice what the Bible says, and she despised him in her heart. When I read that, the first question I have is I'd like to ask Michael, why aren't you out there with David? Why are you looking through a window? I mean, there's a whole procession out there. There's a whole group of people out there shouting and rejoicing. David's leading them. David's dancing. And Michael, his wife, is on the inside looking through a window, and she's despising him in his heart. And the first lesson we get here is a lesson on participation. You know that God expects you to get involved in the work of God? See, you need to understand this, and keep your finger there in 2 Samuel, that's our text for tonight. Go with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 6. If you start the Matthew, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. And here's what you need to understand. The Christian life is not a spectator sport. The Christian life is not, see, we live in this society today where, you know, people want to sit down with a bag of chips, you know, and a soda, and watch somebody do something athletic, you know? And, and we live in a society where we, we want, I mean, we want to watch people do things so much. We'll even, they, there's even a whole, you know, just a group of people out there that watch reality TV. I mean, you're sitting there and watching people supposedly live their real life, you know? And it's like, which obviously it's not, but it's like, why don't you just sit there, you know, just go watch your neighbors. I mean, you know, but, but we have this idea where we just, we, we, we are live in a spectator society. We want to watch. We don't want to go play football. We want to go watch football. We don't want to go play baseball. We want to watch baseball. We don't want to get involved, you know. We, we want to spectate and watch. And here you have Michael looking through a window, watching the work of God go through. But here's what you need to understand. God expects you to get involved. And listen, she despised him in her heart. You know who the biggest critics are? The ones who are not involved. You know, the, the biggest churches out there that criticize churches like our church for going out soul winning, getting people saved, and they'll say, oh, you got all those people saved. Well, where are they? But here's what's interesting. You know why they criticize us, what we're doing? Because they're not doing it. Because they're not involved. And here's what you need to understand. God expects you to get involved in the work of God. And let me explain to you some areas that you can get involved in. One area you can get involved in is serving in the church. Are you there in Acts chapter 6? Look at verse 1. Acts chapter 6 and verse 1, the Bible says, And in those days when the number of disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. 
Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Now, we understand that here they were uh, electing the first deacons of the church, and we understand that, look at verse 4. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. There's a similar story in the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 18, where uh, Moses was basically overwhelmed with the work that he had to do, and Jethro, his father-in-law, said, why don't you choose out some men to help you with the load uh, of the ministry there? And here's what you need to understand. You should look for areas to get involved in serving in the church because, here, listen, the more people that get involved, the more that we can accomplish. The more people that get involved, the more that we can do. There, you, know, the, the, you know, honestly, the less that you can take off of someone like me or even someone like Brother Stuckey or someone that we're, you know, uh, 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 taking on responsibility and, and we can have other people volunteer and step in, you know, it helps. So I want to encourage you. You say, well, you know, how can I get involved? Hey, get involved in serving in an area. And here's a great, you say, well, well where? Here's a great part. Instead of being a my call, because sometimes even within a church, People will watch something happen. You know, they'll watch an event take place and they'll be on the outside of it looking through a window criticizing, well, this went wrong and that went wrong and that wasn't there, where, that wasn't where it should have been. Hey, instead of being a my call just spectating and complaining, why don't you when, you, when you see an area that needs help, why don't you step in and say, hey, I'd like to help in this area. If something is irritating you about, well, this should be done better or this should be. Now, look, if, if the preaching is irritating you, then I can't, you know, I can't help you. All right. You know, we don't need your help. All right. Keep, keep your application. But if you see something in, in, the, in, in church, you know, you see that the widows are being neglected, then say, hey, can I help? Can I step in? Can I serve? You know, there, there are areas that you can get involved in. One area is to get involved in serving in the church. And we understand that not everyone's going to get involved in serving. But let me give you another area. Go to the book of Philippians. You're there in Acts. You're going to go past the book of Romans. First, Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter 1 and look at verse number 27. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27. The first area you can get involved in is in serving in the church. Not everyone's going to get involved. Sometimes I get so many people asking to volunteer, and I'm thinking to myself, I can't even think of what I could have you do right now. You know I mean? You know, everything's, everything's fine. And, and we understand that not everyone's going to get involved in, in serving. But here's an area that everyone can get involved in. You ought to get involved in the soul-winning ministry of our church. Are right, you there in Philippians 1? Look at verse 27. The Bible says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Hey, how often does your conversation, I understand the word conversation, the Bible's talking about your lifestyle, but how often does your lifestyle or your literal conversation become the gospel of Christ? I mean, what is it about your life that is preaching the gospel of Christ to our community? Because the Bible says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, and that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. And notice what he says, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind. Don't miss this. Underline this in your Bible. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. The Bible says that we are to, see, the gospel is not one man's job. You know, don't get this idea like, oh, it's pastor's job to preach the gospel. Or it's the hired staff's job to preach the gospel. No, it's our job. We are to be striving together. We are to be working together for the faith of the gospel. So you say, I'd like to get involved. I'd like to not be a Michael who's just looking through a window, criticizing everything that's being done. Hey, why don't you get involved in the serving ministry? Why don't you get involved in the soul winning ministry? Let me give you another example. Go to the book of Hebrews. You're there in Philippians? 
and keep going towards the end of the New Testament, past the book of Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. Let me give you another example where you can get involved. You ought to get involved in the singing service of the church. Hebrews chapter uh, 2, look at verse 12. Notice what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 2, look at verse 12. The Bible says, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. Notice what he says. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. This is a quote from the book of Psalms where it says, In the midst of the congregation will I sing praise unto thee. You know, something everyone can get involved in is during the singing service, grab a hymn book, open it, and sing. And be a part of this. And I got to be careful when I say this because some people don't need any encouragement. You know what I mean? And uh, so, you know, sometimes some people take it a little too far. But for most people, you got to get involved in the singing. You know it's more exciting to sing when everybody's singing? And by the way, let me say this. If there's somebody who's saying, that person just sings too loud and they ruin the service, why don't you drown them out? Why, why, don't, you, why don't just 10 of you decide we're going to sit around this person and we're going to drown them out? You know? Hey, that would help the singing service. Hey, look, get involved in singing. Don't sit there and just... You know, waiting for the preaching to be done. You say, I don't know how to sing. The Bible says to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Say, well, I don't know how to sing. Hey, you know, uh, neither do we. Have you ever watched us lead the music? I mean, we're trying to figure it out half the time. But just sing with us, you know. Just open your hymn book and just make. And listen, it's very important. Colossians 3.16, you have to turn there. The Bible says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your heart unto the Lord. It's important to sing. The singing service is as important as the preaching service. And sometimes more. And sometimes we start singing those songs and there are things going on in your life. They just bring tears to your eyes. And you know, you got to get involved in that. You say, well, how can I get involved? You got to get involved in serving. You got to get involved in, in soul winning. You got to get involved in singing. Let me give you another one. You got to get involved in following along in the scripture during the preaching. Look, while the preaching of the Word of God is going on, open up your Bible. Let's start here. Bring your Bible to church. How about there? Let's start. Bring your Bible, and then, or if you don't bring your Bible, that's all right. We got some for you. Then open your Bible, follow along, underline, take notes, read. Hey, why don't you get involved? You're already here. You already came. Get involved. You know, don't be on your phone. You can be on your phone at home. You know, get involved in, 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 the, in the scripture and in the preaching. Here's another one. Get involved in the fellowship. Don't be that family or that man or that lady who shows up late, leaves early, never talks to anybody. Get to know people. Get to fellowship with people. Clean up your house and have somebody over every once in a while, you know. And I, you say, why do you have to say clean up your house? Because some people need to hear that, you know. <laughs> We've, we've been invited to places where it's like, did you, 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 you told us to be here on this day. You, you, you think you would have, you know, cleaned something, you know. Anyway, get it. here's the point I'm making. Get involved. There's a lesson about participation. And let me say this. Involve your spouse and your children. See, David's mistake was he allowed Michael to stay home. David should have gone to Michael and said, hey, we're bringing the ark of God. Hey, we're having a special service. You come down here and let's get involved. Let's shout and sing and dance before the Lord. You know, be careful about always letting your wife stay home or some of you, your husband stays home, you know, or your, your children stay home. You know, to the best of your ability, involve your family in ministry, especially here. We're a family-integrated church. Get them involved. Teach your children to sing. 
Teach your children when they're old enough to follow along in Scripture. Get your children out soul winning with you. Get your spouse out soul winning with you. So we see a lesson here if you want to make your way back. Actually, do me a favor. Keep your place there in Hebrews, all right? Are you still there? Keep your place there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it, all right? So make sure you can get to Hebrews. But go back to 2 Samuel chapter 6. And the first thing we see there in verses 14 and 16 is we see a lesson in participation. Michael was not involved, was not participating. She was looking through a window, watching other people do the work of God, and she was critical about it. But I'd like you to notice the second point. Look at verse 17. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle of David that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And as soon as David had made an end of offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he dealt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, uh, as well to the women as men, to everyone a cake of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. They're having a party. They're celebrating. David feels generous. He's giving them all food. He's taking care of them. Notice verse 20. And David returned. Now, don't miss this. David returned. Notice what he returned to do. To bless his household. David, Michael wasn't involved. But David goes back home. He says, you know what? I'm gonna, I blessed all these other people. I'm going to go home and bless my wife. I'm going to go home and bless my children. I'm going to go home and bless my household. And notice, this is how it always happens. Please understand this. Whenever, you're, whenever you've had a great victory, whenever you had a great rejoicing, whenever you, you just got done dancing before the Lord, I mean, things are going great for you, there's always going to be someone at the next turn getting ready to discourage you. Notice what the Bible says. And David returned to bless his household. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, notice what she says, how glorious was the king of Israel today who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovered himself. And that's how she said it, you know, just got it all out in one, one breath. She says, oh, how glorious were you today, David. And notice she says, as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. You know, the second lesson we can see from this passage is here. There's a lesson on unsolicited advice. Michael thought what David was doing was wrong, but you know what, Michael, nobody asked you. David didn't ask you. In fact, nobody asked you. David shows up and he's like, man, we just had a great service. We just had a great, you know, man, the preaching was great. The atmosphere was great. People were singing. Everything was great. And he shows back home and he wants to tell his wife all about it. And she's just there to tell him what she thinks about, you know, what he's really doing and how he's uh, embarrassing himself like a vain fellow. And she's giving this unsolicited advice. You don't have to turn there, but Proverbs 26, 17, if you want to write this reference down, says, He that passeth by and meddleth with strife belonging not to him is like one that taketh the dog by the ears. Don't you like the Bible? It says, When you meddle with strife belonging not to him, you know, I have a, I have a half uh, lab, half German shepherd. If you'd like to try this verse out, just come to my house and grab him by his ears and see what he does to you. You know, he's probably not going to like it. And here's the thing. When you meddle with strife belonging not to you, the Bible says it's like one that taketh uh, a dog by its ears. And here's the point that I want to make. You don't always have to give people your advice when they don't ask for it. You don't always have to give your opinion about everything you think or believe. 
You don't always have to, well, let me tell you what I, nobody asked you, Michael. Look, you don't always have to protest whenever you don't like something, all right? You don't always have to just say, well, I don't agree with that. No, nobody cares what you think. Nobody asks for your advice. And listen, especially in the church world, because, you know, here what happens with us is we're all on fire. We're all reading our Bible. And then somebody does something you don't like or you think they're doing something wrong. And in the spirit of meekness, you want to try to help your brother or sister in Christ. And you want to go tell them everything they're doing wrong and why their marriage isn't working out and why their kids. But listen, if nobody asks, just keep your mouth quiet. My call, nobody can, and by the way, let me say this. I, as a pastor, I have a stand that I don't give advice to anyone unless they specifically ask me. And you know what I found? Even when people ask me, half the time, they still get mad. You know, it's like, I, I refuse to give advice unless you ask me, and then half the time, they're still mad at the advice, you know? And, and, and let me say this. I'm not a rubber stamp, okay? If you've already decided what you're going to do, and you just want me to rubber stamp, your, just go ask somebody else, Okay? Because I'm not here to try to, you know, for you to just be able to say, look, if you want my advice, I'll give you my advice. And I'm thankful for anyone who has my advice and wants it. And I understand that just because I give you advice, you're not going to take it. I get that. But listen, especially if nobody's asking, just keep your comments to yourself. Keep your thoughts to yourself. And even if they ask for it, move carefully in giving advice. Because here we see Michael, um, you know, giving advice that, that isn't... It, it wasn't asked for. And, you know, here's what I found. Some people, some people uh, basically are only happy. Here's what I've noticed. Some people only feel spiritual when they're fighting with someone. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that, they only feel spiritual when they're, like, arguing with someone and telling someone that they're wrong. But you know what? That's not, the Bible says we ought to be esteeming other better than yourself. I'm thinking about someone who just even recently, they, they quit our church, you know. And they were, like, they were having a problem with everyone. I mean, I couldn't put this person solely with anybody. I couldn't put them anywhere. Anyone they came in contact with, there was like an argument and a fight. And they're asking for our advice about how to deal with people. And, you know, I, I stepped in as the pastor. They asked me for advice. And, you know, my advice is, look, if, if we put you out soul winning with 12 people and you come back having problems with all 12 people, maybe you're the problem. You know, the common denominator here is you, all right? And maybe you need to just fix your problem, you know, whatever. And, of course, these people, they don't want to hear what I have to say. They just want to get mad and upset. But listen to me. We shouldn't always have this attitude where, you know, we're trying to correct people and argue people. Some people I've noticed, if they're not fighting with someone, they don't feel uh, spiritual. But listen, that should not be the argument. That should not be our mode. We should be people who are giving advice in a godly manner, in a, in a humble way, if people are asking us for it. But if no one's asking you for it, just stay out of it. And especially if it's not your area of authority. I'm not talking about, you know, when it's your authority. And, and, and you know, not this, this coming Sunday, I'm going to be preaching a sermon about how we uh, reconcile the Old and the New Testament. I've been getting a lot of questions about, you know, how does the Old Testament law uh, deal, affect a New Testament believer, and we're going to talk about that this Sunday. But next Sunday, after that, I'm going to be preaching a sermon about stupid things that Christians believe. Because, you know, here are stupid things that Christians believe in America today. You're never supposed to judge anybody. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible never says that, and if you ever say that, you're just showing us that you don't read the Bible or you don't comprehend Scripture. You know, and people are like, judge not that ye be not judged. Why, why don't you keep reading the text and tell me if that's what Jesus was saying? You know, and we're going to go through that. Here's another stupid thing Christians believe. God loves everyone and hates no one. You know what's funny about that is the Bible tells us God hates certain people. And we're going to be talking about these things because, you know, we need to be able to give an answer for the, for the hope that is asked of us. But, but you know, let, 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 let me say this. 
We need to know what we believe, and we need to know where we stand, and we need to know what the Bible says. But, and if it's your place of authority, you're the husband, you're the, you're the mother, uh, you're the employer, you're the pastor, then it's your place to judge and to do what you're supposed to do. But if it's not your place of authority, look, I'm never going to walk up to one of your wives and start correcting her. You know, what are you, why are you wearing that? You know, here's the thing. It's not, it's not my place of authority. You, do you understand that? So we're not talking about don't give, you know, look, don't, you kids, don't go home and your parents tell you to take the trash out. And you're like, why are you judging me? You know, <laughs> look, they, you, they have the authority to tell you that, all right? They have the authority to tell you your room is messy. They have the authority to tell you to take your, uh, you know, change your clothes because that, you're not wearing something appropriate or whatever. That's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about dealing with peers or even dealing with someone who's your authority. Don't give unsolicited advice. And let me say this. Go, go, go to the book of Luke. Luke. Chapter number nine, real quickly, Matthew, Mark, Luke. While you're out soul winning, don't, you know, don't deal, don't spend a lot of time with people that aren't interested. You know, here's what you need to understand. When we're out soul winning, we are uninvited guests. No, they didn't ask us to come. We just showed up, you know. And many people are glad we come and they talk to us and they get saved. And we've had hundreds and, and even thousands of people saved in the last five years that our church has existed. But you know what? If you're there and they're arguing with you and they're upset and they don't want you there, just move on. We don't want to be giving unsolicited advice to people that are upset with us. Luke 9, 5 says, this is what Jesus said, And whosoever will not receive you when you go to that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. You don't have to turn there, but Titus 3, 2, uh, 3.10 says, A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject. Don't stay there and argue with someone. Just move on, all right? You know, because we don't want to be giving people advice who don't want it or who are upset with it, you know, just move on. We're, it's called fishing for men. We're just trying to get the right catch, all right? So number one, we see a lesson on participation. Number two, we see a lesson on unsolicited uh, advice. Number three, go, 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 go back to 2 Samuel 6. Make sure you can still get back to Hebrews quickly. But 2 Samuel chapter 6, I want you to go back to verse 16. We're going to look at something in verse 16, and then we're going to go back to verse 20. Notice what the Bible says in 2 Samuel 6.16. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal's, uh, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. Notice what the Bible says. And she despised him in her heart. Do you see that? She despised him in her heart. Now, why did she do that? All right? Look at verse 20. Now, notice, she says one thing, but she means another. And she gives us a hint about what she's talking about. And that's usually the case, isn't it? When we're arguing with someone... We'll say, like, well, you did this and this, and it's really not that that we're upset about. It's something else. And oftentimes there's a hint, and there's a hint in this passage as to what she's upset about. Look at verse 20. Then David returned to bless his household, and Michael's daughter, uh, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today who uncovered himself today. Notice what she says, in the eyes of the handmaids. Handmaids referring to young ladies or virgin ladies. And look, she reveals to us what she's really upset about. She's jealous. It says, in the eyes of the handmaids of his servant, and as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncover themselves. Now, why is she jealous? And, and let's just do real quick Bible review study, uh, just so you can get the, the context. You're there in 2 Samuel 6. Go back to 1 Samuel chapter number 18, and look at verse number 20. Now, remember, David, his first wife was Michal. And there was a time when Michal and David loved each other. And Michal loved David, 1 Samuel 18, look at verse 20. If you just flip back to 1 Samuel Chapter 18, look at verse 20. 
And Michal, Saul's daughter, notice what the Bible says, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Remember, Michal loved David, and Saul allowed David to marry Michal. And when things got rough between David and Saul, Michal actually helped David escape. Remember, uh, you're there in 2 Samuel 18. Go to, uh, I'm sorry, you're in 1 Samuel 18. Go to 1 Samuel 19. So just one chapter over. 1 Samuel 19, look at verse 12. So in, verse, in, in 1 Samuel 18, 20, we see that Michal loved David. In 1 Samuel 19, 12, we see this. So Michal let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. She, leads, she lets him out this window, and he runs for his life. And remember, he spends many years away from the, the people of God, away from the house of God, away from Israel. Now, here's the problem. While David's gone... The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 27, chapter 27, verse 3. 1 Samuel 27 and verse 3. While David's gone, he ends up marrying a bunch of other women. 1 Samuel 27, look at verse 3. And David dwelt with Achish at Gath. He and his men, every man with his household, even David, notice, with his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the Carmelite, Nabal's wife, all right? So he marries two women while he's on the run. And look, nowhere in the Bible does God ever condone polygamy. Just because people did it in the Bible doesn't mean it was right. And God said, you know, that he made male and female. He created them. And they were supposed to be, you know, come together. They were supposed to be uh, two were supposed to become one. He didn't say three or four were going to become one. He said two were going to become one. But here you have David who marries these two other wives. Then when David comes to Judah, remember he came and dwelt in Judah first, and he was the king of Judah for about seven years, and then he became king of the entire nation of Israel. In 2 Samuel 5, look at verse 13. While he was the king in Judah, look at what the Bible says. 2 Samuel 5 and verse 13, the Bible says, And David took him more concubines and wives out of Jerusalem after he was come from Hebron. And a concubine is just a wife that's enslaved, doesn't have freedom. And there were yet sons and daughters born to David. So while David's gone, he marries two women while he's on the run. When he's the king in Judah, he marries more concubines, more wives. Then Michal's already been married off to another man. He, he makes Joab bring her back, remember that? And she comes back. And she's not happy. I mean, she, she loved him. She let him out the window to help him run, to, to, to live. And when he comes back, he's got all these other wives with him. And, of course, she's jealous. So here we see her say, if you get back to 2 Samuel 6, she says, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaid. See, the third lesson we get is a lesson on bitterness. Michal was bitter at David. Michal was upset with David. Michal was jealous at what David was doing, and she was attacking him because of this bitterness. But here's what you need to understand about bitterness. Did you keep your place in Hebrews? Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verse number 15. Bitterness is interesting in the Bible. Hebrews 12 and verse 15, if you kept your place there. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15. The Bible talks a lot about a lot, about a lot of sins. But in Hebrews 12 and verse 15, the Bible says this, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Now I want you to notice what the Bible says. Lest any, notice this word, root. See that word root? Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. You know, here's the illustration. If I take a plant in a pot 
and put it out in my yard. That plant is on my yard, but that plant is not part of the yard while it's in that pot. I can put anything on that yard. I can put a basketball. I can put a bicycle. I can put anything on the yard, but it's not part of the yard. Now, if I were to take that plant out of the pot and bury it in the yard and allow that plant to take root in that yard, that plant now becomes part of that yard. The problem with bitterness is that the Bible tells us it has the ability to take root. Notice what he says. He says, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. And here's the problem with bitterness. If you allow bitterness to to be a, a, a part of your life, it'll eventually take root in you and will become part of you. The problem with bitter people is that bitterness has actually become a part of who they are. Because they allow it to take root in them. And notice, notice what it says, Hebrews 12, 15. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble David. Is that what it says? Trouble your wife. Is that what it says? Trouble your husband. Is that what it says? Trouble your neighbor you're, you're fighting with. Is that what it says? Trouble your boss who's giving you problems. Is that what it says? No, no, no. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. See, here's what you need to understand. David, look, David did wrong. David should not have married those wives. David did wrong to Michael. And, and David should have apologized. But here's the thing. David was out there dancing before the Lord, rejoicing before the Lord, while Michael was inside, bitter and angry and upset, and her bitterness did nothing to hurt David. It only hurt her. Because lest any root of bitterness spring up and trouble you. We need to be careful with this idea of bitterness. Sometimes people do us wrong, and sometimes people do things that are hurtful to us. But if you allow bitterness to take root in your heart, it's not going to hurt them. It's just going to hurt you. It's just going to affect you. And you should be careful with that. And by the way, you know, let me say this. The reason that, that, that she was... Uh, get, get back to 2 Samuel chapter 6. The reason that she was upset with David is because he'd done her wrong. Look, if you, you owe someone in the neighborhood money, you know, you borrowed money, you told them you're going to pay it back, and you didn't, you lied, they call you, you don't answer their phone call, you know, you see them at the store and you kind of go the other way, and you, you know, you're out there soul winning, you knock on their door, hi, we're from Verity Back, oh, hey, yeah, how are you doing? You know, they're going to be upset with you, but here's the thing. They're not going to be bitter at you because you're doing the work of God. You know why they're going to be bitter at you? Because you're doing the work of God while you owe the money. Or you're doing the work of God while you know that you lied about them at work or you slandered them. Do you understand that? David had done wrong, and now he's doing the work of God. But guess what? Michael didn't forget what David did to him. And that's why we need to be careful to make sure we, we correct and we apologize and we try to restore relationships because here's the thing. The bitterness is going to affect them, but the reason the bitterness is sometimes directed at us is not because we're doing the work of God. It's because we're doing the work of God while we've done wrong to someone, and we need to be careful with that. Second Samuel chapter 6. Let me give you the fourth lesson. Second Samuel uh, chapter number 6. So we saw, so far we've seen a lesson on participation, and we've seen a lesson on unsolicited advice, and we've seen a lesson on bitterness. Let me give you one more lesson on argument. One more lesson on arguments, and we'll, we'll finish up here soon, all right? You're there in, in, in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6. Look at verse 21. 
And David said unto Michael, now David does really good. For the, fir- the first statement he makes, it's a great statement. Because David was dancing before the Lord. David was rejoicing. He comes home to bless his household. And Michael comes out and says, you are vile. You are vain. You are this. You are that. You're not right with God. And then notice how David responds. This is really good. This is good what he says. Okay. And David said unto Michael, it was before the Lord. And if, that, if there was a period there and the, and the, the whole chapter ended there, we, we would applaud David and say, you know what, David, you're right. Forgetting those things which are behind. Yeah, you messed up, but just do it before the Lord. But David quickly goes downhill after that. He makes a great statement. It was before the Lord, but here's where it goes bad. Which shows me before thy father. Ouch. You know, you know, why, I was, you know why I brought the ark, Micah? Because your dad. Let, allowed it to go to the Philistines, Michael. God chose me. Remember, your dad died? Remember that? <laughs> He's arguing with her now. Which chose me before thy father and before all his house, before your brothers and your sisters and your cousins. Remember all those people? You know why you don't have any relatives, Michael? Because God chose me before your father, and God chose me before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore will I play before the Lord. And then it gets even worse. Notice verse 22. And I will yet be more vile than thus. It's not good, David. And I will base, he says, and I will be base in my own sight. And then, and then here's a final jab. And the maidservants which thou hast spoken of. He said, you know those girls you're jealous about? Of them shall I be had in honor. Ooh, David. That, that's not going to end well, David. And here's what you need to understand about arguments. Keep your finger there in 2 Samuel. Go with me to the book of Judges, Judges chapter number 15. If you're in 2 Samuel, you're going to head backwards, past 1 Samuel, past Ruth, into the book of Judges. And here's what you need to understand about arguments, okay? Arguments last as long as someone is willing to argue. And arguments last as long as someone is willing to retaliate. In Judges, we have a really interesting story about Samson. I'd like to share it with you just real quickly. Judges chapter number 15. In Judges 15 and verse number 3, Samson shows up and basically finds out that his wife has been given away to another man. And in verse 3, the Bible says this, And Samson said concerning them. Now this is when he found out that his wife had been given to another man. He says, Now shall I be more blameless in the Philistines. Now notice what he says. Okay, now I'd even encourage you to underline this in your Bible. Though I do them a displeasure. He says, I'm going to get back. I'm going to retaliate with the Philistines, but I'm going to be blameless because they did it first, because they did something wrong to me first, all right? Notice verse 4. Notice what he does. And Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took firebrands and turned tail to tail and put a firebrand in the midst of uh, between two tails. And when he had set the brands on fire, he let them go into the standing corn of the Philistines and burnt up both the shocks and also the standing corn with the vineyards olives. Do you understand what he just, he grabs 300 foxes, ties their tails up, puts a fire between them, sends them into the standing corn. Uh, he burns up all the corn and all the vineyards and all the olives. Look at verse 6. Then the Philistines said, who hath done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he had taken his wife and given her to his companion, and, underline this in your Bible, and the Philistines came up. Okay, why did they come up? Because they're going to retaliate. Because we're not going to let Samson get away with this. Notice, notice how they retaliate and burnt her and her father with fire. They burned them alive to retaliate on Samson for what he did. So what does Samson do? Look at verse 7. And Samson said unto them, 
Now, underline this in your Bible. Though ye have done this, yet will I be avenged of you. He says, he says now, now I have to respond. He said, you did this, so I'm going to do this. And then they said, well, you did this, so we're going to do this. And then he says, well, now I've got to do something. Notice what he says at the end of verse 7. And after that, I will cease. Right. He says, I, I, I'm going to do this one last thing, and then I'll be done. I'm just going to send this one last text. I'm going to send this one last Facebook page. I'm going to send this one last email. I'm just going to let the, uh, the air out of the tires this one last time, and then I'll be done. But see, it never works that way. Because notice what happens. Verse 8. And he smote them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. And he went down and dwelt in the top of the rock Etom. And the Philistines went up. Because, like, they can't let him get away with this. They've got a response, right? They've got to retaliate. And pitched in Judah, and spread themselves in Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why are you come up against us? And they answered, To bind Sansom are we come up. Now notice, don't miss this. Notice what they said. To do him as he hath done to us. They said, We're just going to do to Samson what he's done to us. Now notice what Samson says, verse 11. Then 3,000 men of Judah went to the top of the rock Edom, and said to Samson, Knowest thou not that the Philistines are rulers over us? What is this that thou hast done unto us? And he said unto them, notice what he says, As they did unto me, so have I done unto them. They said, We're just doing to him what he did to us. And Samson said, Well, I'm just doing to them what they did to me. There's so many times I've sat down and tried to deal with people in church that are having conflicts, and it's like, well, I didn't do anything wrong. It was that, you know, they started, and then it's like, well, no, no, it was because they did this, and they did that, and here's the thing. Here's what you need to understand. An argument will last as long as someone is willing to retaliate. Go to Matthew chapter 5. We're done right here. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. See, it takes two to tango. Eventually, someone has to be willing to take the hit and not hit back. Do you understand that? In fact, Jesus taught this in a very famous passage. I'll show it to you. Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 38. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's Samson's philosophy. That's the Philistines' philosophy. Well, I'm just going to do to them as they have done to me. Well, I'm just, I'm just treating him like this because the way he treated me, or I'm just treating her that way because the way she treated me. But listen, Jesus said, You have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite. Talking about someone hits you, smacks you, slaps you. The on thy right cheek, he says, turn to him the other also. What, what was Jesus teaching? Here's what he's teaching. The way to end an argument is to take a hit and not hit back. That's the only way. And look, in your marriage, you say, well, my wife and I or my husband and I, we're always arguing, we're always fighting. Here's why you're always arguing and you're always fighting. Because someone's willing to hit again. Because someone's willing to take that next job, to make that next statement. Sometimes I'll say something, I'll be in a bad mood. I know you'd never, under, you'd never expect me to ever be in a bad mood. But sometimes I'll be in a bad mood and I might say something, you know, uh, sharp to my wife. And, you know, when she responds in a kind way, it just hurts. You know what I mean? kind of like, well, you took the fun out of that, <laughs> you know? I'm sorry, honey, <laughs> you know? You see, the problem with fighting is that when someone hits you back, and I'm not talking about physically. I, I got to make those things clear now because we got these people out there trying to get me arrested or something. When you're arguing with someone, they take a jab at you, and you, he, you, when you take a jab back, they feel justified, and I feel justified. Say, so, my, my wife and I are always fighting. My children are always fighting. We're always fighting at, in our family. We're always fighting at work. Here's why. Because no one is willing to take a hit and not hit back. No one's willing in the way that Jesus famously said to turn the other cheek. 
And see, the problem with arguments, because see, she, Michal comes at David and says all these mean things, and he starts off great. He says, it was before the Lord. He should have just said, you know what, Michal? It was before the Lord. And just walked away. But he said, Michael, that was before the Lord. We chose before your father. We chose before your, 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 your entire family. And those women that you're jealous about, they're going to have me in our... And he just kept arguing and kept fighting with her. And, and look at how it ended. Look at how it ended. Go, go back to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. Look at verse 23. Notice what it says. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child until the day of her death. You know what that means? They never came together physically, had a physical relationship. After that fight, they basically just had nothing to do with each other. And she died without a child. That's what the Bible is telling us. You know why marriages end? Because no one's willing to just take that final hit and say, you know what, we, we need to just be done. Let me walk away here. You know why churches split? Because no one's willing to say, I'm going to take that hit and I'm not going to smite back. All arguments, the only reason they continue is because someone's willing to continue them. And we learn a lesson here on arguments that you have the power. When your husband, ladies, when your husband says something mean to you and he's in a bad mood and, and you don't deserve that and you've been at home all day with the kids and you've been cooking and cleaning and we get that or you've been doing whatever you're supposed to be doing and, and you don't deserve that, you, you have the power to end it right there by just saying, you know what, honey? It, it was before the Lord and just walk away. Or vice versa. Your wife says something to you. Or your sibling says, whatever it is, you know, if we can learn to just not continue. At some point, someone's got to get off that crazy cycle. And there's, an, there's a lesson here on arguing. And we see that David and Michal's marriage literally ended because they weren't able to turn the other cheek. So let's bow our heads and have a word.